Welcome to the Gateway.Live podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray that God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in. Stepping out is never easy. The predictable, the comfortable, the familiar, all gravity. Clenching, holding, restraining. But we are a different breed. We do not accept the status quo. Come hell or high water, we will run boldly into the unknown. In search of purpose, promise, greatness, we are pioneers. We're continuing our series this weekend entitled Pioneers, and what we're talking about today is related to uh, something that I walked through this week. This was not the message I had intended to preach this weekend, uh, but I was in Colorado Springs this past weekend preaching at New Life and then uh, doing presbytery afterwards. And on Tuesday morning, uh, I, I went and did their second presbytery service and then came back to my hotel room. And I don't know if you've ever felt like this has happened to you before, but I felt like I was receiving the one of the nastiest spiritual assaults I have experienced in my life. In fact, I'd probably say it was the second strongest spiritual attack I've, I've ever experienced in my 40 years of life so far. And the worst one was about four months ago when I was in Poland. And so I'm starting to learn some things about uh, the attacks. And, and what we're talking about today is spiritual warfare. Now, I know some of you, when we talk about this, uh, you immediately kind of start to shut down and go, I don't, I don't like to talk about this kind of stuff. I don't want to give the devil any place in my life. I hate to tell you, this is not about giving place to your enemy. It's about understanding your enemy's habits. And that's scriptural. The title of this message is Pioneers Get Punched. Pioneers Get Punched. And while I know many of us would love to win the war Without the warfare, unfortunately, that's just not how it works. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 says, Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Now, I understand this is not a complete sentence. Paul is going on a much longer theological run here. But this one sentence is very important. So let me kind of move the words around grammatically so that you can understand what this one sentence is saying. Paul's saying, when we are not ignorant of Satan's devices, he cannot take advantage of us. So that means we've got to have a better understanding of our enemy's habits. We need to be aware of Satan's habits so we can minif- minimize the effects of his attacks. As long as Satan keeps trying to destroy, we need to keep talking about his devices because we're all aware he's not going to give up anytime soon 
So in this message, I'm, I'm going to try and give you several things to think about and walk out that will help anytime you feel the enemy come against you. Now, you might be thinking, well, what, what does that kind of attack look like? I'm not just talking about the, the give and take where the enemy kind of, you know, bothers you, pests you. I'm talking about the all-out assault because that's what I was experiencing on Tuesday morning. And come to find out when I got back on Wednesday night, I talked with several of the staff. Two other of our pastors felt extreme spiritual attack on Tuesday. Another one of our pastors on Wednesday uh, and, and this might sound weird, but it actually kind of excites me because we already have been feeling that God's doing something special behind the scenes here. And you might pick up on it, you might not yet. That's okay. But it always excites me when I see the enemy try and start attacking more because you, he never attacks what he's not threatened by. So a part of what you need to see, spiritual attack, it, it's a little bit of a compliment by your enemy to go, listen, if you were not a threat to me, I wouldn't bother you. But you're bothering me, so I've got to bother you. So let me give you a couple of things to be thinking about as we talk about spiritual warfare. Here's point number one. Recognize his approach from afar. Recognize when the enemy is approaching from further away rather than close up. Because when you see Satan coming from afar, you'll rarely let him get close enough to cause trouble. And I'm going to show you a couple of ways to really uh, pick up on his approach from further away. But 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 says, Be on guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Now, a lot of us as believers skip to the stand firm in the faith part. We forget about the be on guard part. When I'm not on guard spiritually, the enemy always gets closer than I want him to. Now, unfortunately, for, for a good number of believers, they think Satan and his demonic friends are just a figment of the Christian's imagination. Unfortunately, that's not what the Bible says. And trust me, the devil would love nothing more than for you to think he's a figment of your imagination. Because then you, you'll just not think about it and he can just run free. But that's not what the Bible teaches us. The Bible says be on guard. And we're going to walk through a lot of scripture in this message. But I want to give you two ways to really pick up on the approach of the enemy from long range. Here's the first thing. Remember that Satan starts trouble when you're tired. Satan loves to start trouble when you're tired. Matthew chapter 4, let me read to you what happens to Jesus. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. I don't know if you've ever done a water-only fast, but not only are you very hungry, you're completely exhausted, especially when you try and make it that long. And look what happens, verse 3. During that time, the devil came. This is a play from the enemy's playbook. He loves to pick on you when you're tired. Why? Because Satan loves shortcuts. He's a cheater. He's looking for the fastest path to victory. Satan's favorite time to stir things up is when you are in serious need of rest. Why? 
because you're easier to take advantage of when you're low in the area of energy. Here's the second thing that will help you pick up on the enemy's approach from afar. So the first, remember that whenever you get tired, know the enemy is going to try and draw near. But the second way is related to the area of confusion. The door to confusion is opened by entertaining one simple question. How many of you have ever really out of nowhere felt like a cloud of confusion just started to set in on your mind? Anybody ever been there before? Okay, put your hand up. I'm putting both my hands up. Look around. Look around, okay? This is really important because a lot of us who experience this think we're the only ones. Not true. This is one of the enemy's favorite ways to mess with us. The spirit of confusion. Genesis chapter 3 shows us a play from the enemy's playbook. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Do you see the question here? What led to the open door for the fall of man was a question of confusion. He said, did God really say that? And on comes this spirit of confusion. She, she tries to go back and forth in her mind. Well, well, listen. Confusion always leads to catastrophe. And the longer you allow a confusing conversation to go on, the greater the chances that something catastrophic will happen. This is why Satan authors so much confusion. Now, let me help you understand why this is the case. John chapter 8, Jesus says that Satan is the father of all lies and that there is no truth in him at all. Here's what that means. When the devil comes to ask you, because this is what he did with me on Tuesday, he started with one question that got me so confused and I started second guessing not just what he was asking me about, I started to second guess a bunch of other things. This is what he does. Now think about this. When the enemy comes to you and asks you a question, did God really tell you to do that? What he's really saying is, did, did, you, did you really get that right? Did you really hear that right? Now, one question started the descent of the plane of my mind and my emotions. Now, think about this. When the devil comes to ask you a confusing question, and Jesus says he's the father of all lies, and there's no truth in him at all, you need to remember that when Satan asks you a question of confusion, his goal is not to help you find the truth. His goal is to get you further away from the truth. The devil will never help you answer his trick question by pointing you to the truth. Why? Because there's no truth in him at all. Confusion is what happens when you allow a liar to be involved in your conversation with the truth. Well, what does confusion feel like? Well, let me, let me give you the simple answer to that. Mental instability. Confusion feels like mental instability. And maybe you've felt it before. Am I going crazy? I don't feel like I have control of my mind right now. 
It's not necessarily that. It's the cloud of confusion is setting in on you. And listen, the easiest path to instability is second-guessing what God has already spoken. And that's why Satan starts with that question. Scripture says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Did God say it? Did he not say it? Did God lead me to do that? Did he not lead me to do that? Did I get it right? Did I get it wrong? Instability. And here I was in this hotel room, hundreds of miles from home, and one question of confusion caused me to, for a few minutes, curl up in the fetal position and not know up from down. Listen, I was tired, hadn't had a day off in two weeks. That's not something to, to cheer. That's stupidity. Hadn't been working out as consistently, hadn't been eating well. I was tired, but not just that. That one question brought on a lot of confusion in that moment. I have a lot of pet peeves. Uh, most of them I don't talk about with you because I don't want you to look down on me. Uh, but some of my pet peeves involve feet. I've mentioned this publicly. I'm not a fan of feet. I personally believe when we get to heaven, we're all going to wear socks <laughs> because there's no sin in heaven. And if you're walking around barefoot, I'm probably going to sin. So we're probably going to wear socks and tevas in heaven. I'm just going to settle that. I don't know where that is in scripture. I have been studying constantly to make sure that was in there. Still haven't found it. But if you ever see a verse, socks and tevas, text it to me, email it to me. Because uh, feet are a pet peeve of mine. Here's another pet peeve of mine. Lack of self-awareness. This one drives me absolutely crazy. A lack of self-awareness. Here's another one. I can't stand when people sneak up behind someone they love to scare them. I hate this. Listen, if you do this to me in the lobby, I promise you, I will turn around and punch you. <laughs> I'm just telling you right now. Here's why, because that's not how love behaves in my world. Love does not behave by sneaking up from a vulnerable position and scaring you, taking advantage of your blind spots. That's what that is. I don't let my kids do this with my kids. They used to play this game where they'd walk around, uh, they'd hide behind the door when one of the other kids was coming through, uh, and they'd jump out and scream as loud as they could, and the, the, the other child would fall down or you know, jump back or start swinging at them profusely like their father would. And I, I, I would stop it. We're not going to play this game, and here's why. Because I don't want my behavior to mirror that of a monster. This is how the enemy behaves. I'm not going to trick the people I love by, by sending them a message that sometimes I'm going to hug you, but sometimes I'm going to surprisingly hurt you. See, you, you may do this to the people you love. I hate to burst your bubble, but it's actually a control play. It's, it's total control. You got something going on in you and it makes you feel good to freak somebody else out. I'm gonna do a whole message on this one day because I think it's completely Bush League for anybody who loves someone to intentionally scare them. 
But this is what the enemy does. Well, on Tuesday, this one question that the devil asked, and and it, it went like this. Did God really tell you to do that, Preston? And he pointed back to something, a decision I made six months ago. And that one question got me, some things were going on and it, it just got me going downhill really fast. And after it was all over, and I'll, I'll walk you through more of it in a bit, but after it was all over, I said to the Lord, what, what, what's going on? Did, did I get it wrong? Did I miss it? I, I wasn't sure if you were asking me that or if the enemy was asking me that. And I hope I never forget what I felt the Lord say in response. He said, Preston, have you one time question the decision that you made six months ago? I said, no, not once. He said, have you one time question that I told you to make that decision? I said, no, not even close. I haven't even thought about it. He said, that's right, son. And I want you to remember this. I don't sneak up on you to talk to you. If someone can walk up from behind you and shock you, surprise you, and at the snap of a finger get you to start questioning everything I've said to you, you need to understand that's not my voice. It was like the most liberating thing. So I thought, okay, I I, I hear that voice every once in a while. I, I thought it might be you going, hey, we need to talk. I'm frustrated about something. And the Lord's going, that's not me. He said, I don't come up from behind you with the truth. I come head on. You never need to be looking over your shoulder to see if it's me because I come from straight ahead. The enemy loves to create confusion in our lives. The best way to be looking out, be on guard, is to pay attention when you're really tired because that's when he's going to try and sneak up, but also to remember any time you feel confused, God is not the one in the conversation. God is never responsible for starting the creation that gets you all confused because God is not the author of confusion. That's what 1 Corinthians 14 says. That leads to the second point. If we're going to deal, not just endure the attacks, but deal blows in response, point number two, we need to respond correctly quickly. Let me give you two things to think about as it relates to responding to our enemy's attacks correctly. Here's the first one. Don't fight in the flesh. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. We're not battling against people, against flesh and blood. We are battling against powers and principalities. This is scriptural. Now, I'm not telling you to adopt a lifestyle that starts finding a demon under every bush. But I am telling you that scripture clearly states we're to be and remain on guard. I don't know if you're like this, but I have an extremely competitive streak. Uh, Some might say it's borderline unhealthy. There's a reason I don't have you over to my house to play board games, because you would never come back to our church. Uh, I I like to win. I enjoy winning. I don't enjoy losing. And truth be told, I enjoy beating you when we're playing board games. Uh, This is why my wife and I don't play board games anymore. We don't even play on the same team. 
It's, I'm getting counseling for it. Don't worry. But there's one of the things I've learned about me. If I know we're competing, I hate to give my opponent what they want. I don't know if you're this way, but if I realize, if, if we're in a contest and I know what you're trying to get from me, let's say we're playing cards and I know the one card you're trying to take from me, I will go down with the ship, but I am not giving you that card. I will lose the game, but keep that card because I don't want my opponent to have what they want from me. And I think this is actually godly, at least that's how I convince myself. Because think about this. Maybe this hasn't happened for you, but it's happened for me. There have been times in my life when the devil has come to attack me and he's only trying to get one square foot of control in my life and I give him control of one square mile. Well, how do we do that? I'll tell you how. By responding to his spiritual attacks emotionally. Emotion is the worst response to the devil's assault on your emotions. And if, if you respond emotionally when the devil tries to get you going and he comes to attack, I want you to write down this truth. You don't have to get stirred up just because your enemy is trying to stir things up. Think about it like this. Do you get all riled up when a mosquito bites you on the arm? I mean, really. Think about the last time a mosquito bit you on the arm. Did you just start flailing and going, oh my goodness, I'm gonna die, this is horrible. No, at least I hope not. You just went, and you killed a mosquito, right? No big deal, right? Okay, why do we think that getting riled up emotionally is the way to overcome spiritually? This is one of my favorite one-liners in this message. So just do me a favor and write it down even if you're not taking notes. Fighting a spiritual battle in the flesh is like showing up to a pistol fight with paper and a pencil. Before you even get in the first word, the devil already has you bleeding out. Yet, time and time again, many of us are trying to fight spiritual battles with emotional responses. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 says, we are human. Make no mistake, we are human. But we don't wage war as humans do. We cannot overcome the devil spiritually by responding to him emotionally. You don't have to get stirred up just because he's trying to stir things up. Here's the second thing to remember if we're gonna respond correctly, quickly. Don't just sit there, stand up. Now this last week, the Lord gave me a couple of passages that really helped me to understand how the enemy operates when things like what happened to me on Tuesday happen. Job chapter one, verse six says, one day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord. I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Okay, so understand this. Our enemy is patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on, not because he's omnipresent, 
but he has somebody watching everything that's going on, all right? Now, attach that Old Testament truth to this New Testament truth, and you get an even greater picture of what the enemy is doing while he's patrolling. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion. Notice, like a, not as a. There's only one lion in this battle. You know what I'm talking about, right? He, he prowls around like a roaring lion. That's evidence that he is not a roaring lion. He's a poser, a pretender, a wannabe, a fake. There's only one lion, capital L, and it's not him. He prowls around like a roaring lion. Look what he's doing, looking for someone to devour. Now, if I go back four or five months to when I was in Poland and I experienced for 48 hours the single worst spiritual assault I have ever endured in my lifetime. And this on Tuesday started out the same way. But I learned some things from that fight in Poland. Both times, my initial reaction was basically to curl up into the fetal position and kind of just take it. And I don't know why, as believers, we think that we're required to endure these beatings, that strength is just making it through these attacks. No, no, no. As sons and daughters of God, we've been divinely wired and anointed to attack back with more authority than he has against us. And I'm, I'm being reminded of this, and I'm learning. I've never been in these kind of spiritual fights before. In Poland... I curled up in the fetal position, and here I think what the Lord was trying to help me understand is what was happening. It's like the enemy is walking by and just patrolling the earth, looking for someone to devour. So think about it like this. So he goes and kind of taps on, and if you don't know this, one of the meanings for the word uh, devil means penetrator, and it means to poke around to find a weakness in between the armor. So he's poking and prodding. So he's patrolling the earth, poking and prodding, looking for someone to devour. Well, how does he decide who's going to be devoured? When he finds someone who curls up into the fetal position. It's almost like he comes by, pokes and prods, and when he gets someone like I did to curl up in the fetal position, and instead of respond by attacking, just simply to endure the attack, it's like he shouts out, hey, found one. Everybody come over here quick. And now it's not just me against one, it's me against many. We don't have to merely endure every attack. Luke chapter 10, verse 19, listen to what Jesus says. He says, look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. Jesus didn't say I could lay down amongst snakes and scorpions. He said I could walk. Listen, after five minutes of kind of being like this in my hotel room, I got up, pulled back the curtains, let as much light as I could in, didn't work. Turned on some worship music, didn't work. So I started to just think, okay, I haven't eaten all day, I haven't worked out in a week, I, I am completely exhausted, giving out more than I have in my tank to give, and I, I feel beat up in this room. I, I'm just going to go for a walk. I went for a 45-minute walk and just talked to the Lord the entire time built myself up in the Lord. 
listen, when the enemy comes to attack, you don't have to curl up into the fetal position. You can stand up. You don't have to sit there and take it. He doesn't have more authority. Jesus says, look, I have given you as my disciple authority over your enemies. They don't have authority over you unless you give it to them. And that leads to point number three, and this is my favorite part of the message. Repay his attacks with interest. This is my ornery competitive side, and I admit it completely. But I think I get it from the Lord, and I think you do too. Go read Colossians 2. God says, I didn't just overcome the devil with the cross that day. I publicly humiliated him. I was going for all-out complete embarrassment, and I did it. I wasn't just going for victory. And I want to give you a couple of things. If, if, you, if I asked you this question, how many of you would love to be one of the most annoying people on the earth to the devil himself? Come on, put your hand up. Yeah. We would all love to be annoying. Well, let me give you a couple of ways to be an annoyance. Here's the first one. Engage your allies. When the enemy picks on you, Pick up the phone and phone a friend. Get someone else involved. Question, why does Jesus leave the 99 for the one? I don't know that we've thought about this enough. We sing songs that intimate that the reason Jesus leaves the 99 for the one is because he cares for the one, and he does. But that's not the only reason he goes after the one. Yes, he chases after the one, because he cares, but he also chases after the one because he's concerned. Let me say it like this. The easiest sheep to take out is the one with the worst proximity to the shepherd and the rest of his sheep. Why do you think we talk about on a fairly consistent basis how disconcerting it is that the average believer only shows up for church one and a half times a month? Do you really think it's because we want to be able to count a number? Like, do you legitimately believe that, I mean, when was the last time any of you ever heard us talk about how many people we had? I have never once stood up the week after Easter and said, let's all celebrate how many people we had come to church. Wanna know why? Because I'm fairly confident when I get to heaven and I stand before God, the first question out of his mouth is not gonna be, how many were you running, bro? How many was your church running? It's not gonna be his question. It doesn't mean numbers don't matter. It just means they don't matter the most. We talk about being a consistent part of the worshiping family of God in part because it's easiest to pick on the sheep with the worst proximity to the shepherd. Now listen, I am not the shepherd. There's only one capital S shepherd. I'm an under-shepherd. I work for the shepherd, and I am a sheep. I'm a sheep who's been given the title of temporary under-shepherd, but I'm a sheep before I'm a shepherd. There's only one shepherd. I spend so much of my time begging people when they come for counseling and they say, I'm just getting beaten up. And one of the questions I ask is, well, how often are you in church? Well, probably once every six weeks. Here's what you're saying. I'm fighting all alone. I'm doing this all by myself. James chapter 5, verse 16, I think is a reason why many of us don't like to come close to the rest of the family of God. 
Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. The second part of this verse is so incredibly powerful, but it's the first part of the verse that intimidates us from ever often experiencing the second part of the verse. Listen, on Tuesday, I, I, I am learning. I know I'm slow, but I'm learning. When I get picked on spiritually, I am not going to fight by myself. So I picked up my phone. I knew what my wife was doing. I texted her. I knew she was busy and just said, I need you to be praying right now. Here's what's going on. And the second I texted her, picked up the phone, called Brad, Bradley Dean Larson, one of my best friends. I said, hey, here's what's going on. I need you to pray for me right now. And many of you feel like you know Brad Larson, uh, our, our number two guy here. But let me just tell you, his Italian side comes out quickly when he feels like the enemy picks on someone he loves. I heard the most mafia-type prayer I've ever heard in my life. It was literally one of the most violent prayers I have ever heard. And I'm sitting there getting the fire beat out of me, and I'm listening to him pray this violent prayer. And it was like his prayer went on for like six minutes. And I, I, I literally, I am not kidding you, I was sitting in my rental car in Colorado Springs, and with each 60-second segment of his prayer it was like I started going like this that's what I'm talking about let's go yeah that's right let's go yeah yeah come on I mean I, I was riled up it was better than any pregame speech I've ever heard in my life why because the effective prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much not just in the world but in our own minds and hearts Engage your allies when you're picked on. But here's the million dollar question. Why don't we pick up the phone when we get picked on? There are two really simple answers. One, we're afraid to look weak. Well, I'm kind of technically Brad's boss and I didn't want to give up the high ground. I don't want him to think that I'm not strong and I can't show my weakness. So I'm just going to keep getting beaten on, but at least he'll think I'm strong. Okay, question if that's you, if you're afraid to look weak. Would you rather temporarily look weak and immediately get strong, or would you rather be weak and get weaker from hiding your weakness? You get to pick. As for me and my house, we're just going to be weak. Because in weakness, Scripture says, I find strength. The second reason we don't pick up the phone when we get picked on, is the pride of thinking we can do it all by ourselves, that we can do it on our own. And here's the question, if that's you, if you're too proud to fight alone, here's my question for you. Did you get to this earth all by yourself? Did anyone get here all by themselves? Okay, question. If you didn't get here by yourself, what makes you think you can make it here all by yourself? We can't. We need one another. Bigger than that, God gives us one another, not just to walk with, but to fight with. Matthew chapter 18, verses 18 and 19, Jesus says, Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything you ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Listen to me closely. The enemy is desperate 
to interrupt your alignment because he is deathly afraid of your agreement. Pick up the phone when you're getting picked on. But here's the second thing. If you're going to repay the enemy's attacks with interest, swing back. Swing back. Let me give you three R's to remember how to swing back. First R, resist. Resist. James chapter 4, verse 7. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Jesus in Matthew 4, when I told you he was being tempted, when, he was, when the enemy was coming after him, listen to what Jesus says to Satan. Very simply, get out of here, Satan. A good offense always starts with good defense. Resist the enemy. Jesus says, get out of here. The second thing, if you're going to swing back, rebuke him. Rebuke him. Have you ever been around a name dropper? Maybe you are a name dropper. If you don't know what a name dropper is, you'll see this from time to time at a party or a kid's game, talking to a parent, or maybe even in a church lobby from time to time. When you walk up to someone and in the first sentence of conversation, they drop several supposed famous names of people they supposedly are best friends with. I just always kind of giggle because we're always guilty of that from time to time. Anytime we feel insecure, we'll always drop someone's name that seems to be more important than ours. But I don't think name droppers are actually that far away from getting it. I actually think we're divinely wired to be name droppers. Jude verse 9 says, but even Michael, one of the mightiest of the angels, did not dare accuse the devil of blasphemy, but said simply, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. He didn't say, I rebuke you. He said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, theologically, you need to understand, the Bible does not say we have the ability to rebuke the enemy, that we have the authority to rebuke him. We have the authority to resist. But the time to drop the name is when we rebuke the enemy. You might start a conversation with a stranger by dropping a name, but don't ever forget this. The fastest way to end a conversation that Satan starts is to drop the name above all other names, Jesus. Scripture helps us understand this is the way to play. Psalm 44 verse 5 says, only by your power can we push back our enemies. Only in your name can we trample our foes. Sometimes the fastest path to victory is simply saying the name of the victor, Jesus. And I have been in fights before where all I knew to do was simply say his name over and over again. And listen, here's what I think is happening when we drop the name above all names in a spiritual fight with the enemy. I think he kind of responds like this. Hey, 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 bro. Hey, hey, come on, man. You don't need to bring him into this. Leave him out of this. Let's just keep this between me and you. Leave him out. No, I most certainly will not leave him out of this. Because I don't need a superhero to come rescue me. I need my savior to show up and save the day. And think about this. When we call on the name of the Lord and say, the Lord rebuke you to our enemy, 
Satan has to do the exact same thing the wind and the waves did when Jesus rebuked them. What did they do? Sit down and shut up. You might be thinking, man, this is really strong. It's got to be. Because he doesn't come at you weak. He comes at you strong. And it's not your name that has the power, it's his. So stand on that name. Resist the enemy. And declare, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. If I had a dollar for every time I heard my hero say that, I, I might be a millionaire. The Lord rebuke you. That leads to the third thing, if you're going to swing back. Repay. Repay. When the enemy punches you, don't just punch him back. Pound him into the ground. Well, how do I do that, Preston? Do I just pray? No, that's part of it, but that's not all of it. Romans chapter 12, verse 21 helps us understand if you want to play dirty with the enemy, and I mean that in an ornery way, okay? Not a literal way. Because the devil's not fighting fairly with you. Don't fight fairly with him. He just wants to engage in some silly game. If you really want to go after him, Romans 12 verse 21 tells us how. Don't let evil conquer you, but overcome evil by doing good. Overcome evil by doing good. What does that mean, Preston? Let me give you the simple answer. Do the one thing you least want to do that God is asking you to do that is the number one thing the devil wants you to least do and if you want to rub it in his face that you belong to the Lord and are not under his the enemy's authority then do the one thing you least want to do in your flesh that God is asking you to do that is firing a bullet across the enemy's bow Make no mistake, pioneers are going to get punched. But when you get punched, don't just punch him back. Pound him into the ground. Jesus gave you the authority to do so. Thanks for joining us on Gateway.Live. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com.